You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Please stay standing as we read from Romans 6. What should we then say? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life, For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you guys noticed that uh, recently the whole world seems to be becoming more and more polarized, more and more divided? You notice that? Like different groups of people seem to be more adversarial towards one another, political parties, subsections of the community. Hands up if you've noticed this. Yeah. It's hard not to notice. Uh, as with everything that's wrong with the world, I blame social media. Um, It's certainly got a big role to play in this, in uh, accelerating, in magnifying, in amplifying tribalism. But I'm sure it's not the cause. I noticed, you know, I I noticed during the, uh, the lockdown, during the pandemic, um, my wife, Renee, who is um, not short of strong opinions um, because she's a Celtic woman and it's, you know, it's, just, it's in the DNA, all right? All the redheads said, amen, oh, yep. Um, that she was, she was moving through lockdown without like, voicing so much of this angst and like, didn't, like, wasn't um, verbally blaming and, and dividing and finding fault. And the rest of us seem to be doing that all of the time. There was someone that was to blame for this and we knew who it was. And I realized after a while that the reason for this was not just that she is a follower of Jesus being sanctified and made more like him, but because she's never had a social media account. Anyone else? Never had? Right, you guys are all, you are the the smartest people in the room. Look around. (laughs) Those like four people. What are the rest of us doing? We know it's bad for us, but we just can't help it. 
Social media is definitely amplified, magnified, the polarization that has really always existed in society. Humans are by their very nature tribal. This is not a new thing. We've always divided ourselves. We've always seen other people as the other, as outside of the sphere of our blessing. This has always been the case. It's, it's, I take it part of our human nature, part of our, I would say, sinful condition. There's a really uh, interesting, I find, stimulating book um, called Political Tribes. It's by Amy Chua, and she, I think it's 2018, she really um, surveys the, uh, this group instinct and the fate of nations, basically how uh, this, this innate desire to divide, according to tribes, drives so much of global politics. And here's what she says. I've got a quote here for you. She says that, uh, she talks about the innate nature of tribalism. Do you want to pull that up for me, Phil? She says, humans are tribal. We belong to groups. We crave bonds and attachments, which is why we love clubs, teams, fraternities, family. Almost no one is a hermit. Even monks and friars belong to orders, but the tribal instinct is not just an instinct to belong, it is also an instinct to exclude, she goes on. Referencing left and right wings of politics, she says, the left believes that right-wing tribalism, bigotry, racism is tearing the country apart. The right believes that left-wing tribalism, identity politics, political correctness is tearing the country apart. They are both right. All this creates within the country a virtuous us and a demonized them. That's the result of polarization, tribalism. People who think like me, people who are on my team, people in my tribe, we are virtuous. If only the world was more like us. And the other, the different, the distant, they are demonized. They are the root of all evil. I'm sad to say, to be honest, I'm ashamed to say as a Christian that Christians are guilty of this. Christians are participants in this. Christians themselves have poured accelerant on polarization in the world today. There is Christian nationalism and Christian popularism and all of them are just sanctified versions of the same old sin. I had this conversation with a guy just last week out the front of our church. I know he's a Christian and I know he's a brother and he's a good guy. But he said to me in the course of our conversation, which as with so many conversations I'm having right now, particularly with older people, um, he was saying, just like talking about the darkness of this present age and just how everything is going to hell in a handbasket. And, uh, and I was able to kind of nod along with that because I look around and I see a lot of darkness. And, um, you know, I, in my job, I just get a front row seat to a lot of brokenness. And so, yeah, I, I get that. But then he said, you know what? Donald Trump is coming back and he's going to fix it all. 
he went on to tell me how it has been prophesied. And uh, I was like, you know, that sounds a lot like Jesus. That sounds like his, that's, that's Jesus' job. But that's what polarization and tribalism does. It, it, it not only separates us it, uh, and divides us, it is the platform on which we erect our false messiahs. If we get a leader who's powerful enough to represent our cause, then the world will be one for whatever. I hope I don't need to tell you that tribalism and Christianity have opposite goals. Tribalism and Christianity have opposite goals because tribalism is about division and Christianity is about unity. Now, in our situation today, living in Australia, which is just about the most egalitarian place on earth, right? It's just in our blood. Everyone deserves a fair go. Nobody's better than anyone else. We cut down tall poppies. We try and make it all completely level. We, don't, we take for granted the fact that Christianity is the most powerful force for egalitarianism that the world has ever seen. The only reason we are egalitarian is because this nation was founded on Christian principles. The only reason anyone believes in a universal bill of human rights is because they are, in essence, Christian. They take for granted Christian beliefs about everyone being made in God's image and everyone being equal before God. But this is not something that was taken for granted in the first century. The idea in the first century that everyone was equal before God was a revolutionary idea, like shocking to the people who first received it. That world, and not just in Rome, and not just in Jerusalem, but that world was inherently tribalistic. Like in ways that would make this current season we're going through look like tame. You had divisions between races, absolutely. Paul refers to the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, Greeks. Right? Between races, between genders, absolutely. No equality of the sexes at all. And between stations, free and slave, absolute dividing wall of hostility. There is no way to separate, or sorry, there's no way to bring together those two different stations. It's oil and water. So you have the most divided society that you could imagine, and into it Christianity comes with this goal of unity, of unification, and, and, a, and a presupposition, that is like a, um, a, a way of viewing humanity from their very fundamentals as being equal in God's sight. Men and women might look to exterior things, but God sees the heart and he sees all human beings made in his image and therefore all equal and worthy of dignity and value and worth. Tribalism and Christianity have absolutely opposite agendas. In three weeks' time, when we're back in the book of Revelation, you're going to see this in a vision uh, in, in Revelation chapter 7. Do you want to pull that up? We'll, we'll read... 
Revelation 7, 9, uh, John says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Right? Every nation, tribe, people, and language. There is no Christian nation, tribe, people, or language. One of the beautiful things about Christianity is that when it comes into an established culture, it doesn't annihilate the culture and then build its own. It reforms the culture. It doesn't replace it. It transforms the culture. That's why in a church like ours, you will see people from different natures and cultures coming dressed in different ways. They're not all having to dress, praise the Lord, in like a check shirt and bad jeans, all right? That, that's not happening. We don't prescribe a certain dress or a language or, 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 or even a, a set of behaviors in as much as we all seek to emulate Christ and his behavior, his way of living. So there's diversity within unity, but the diversity doesn't divide. It's a beautiful picture. It's actually what the world is looking for with all of their activity around, you know, all that stuff, identity politics and and all of that stuff. What they're seeking for is something good. They just don't know how to achieve it. And in doing it the way that they're doing it, they are only dividing people more and more. The, the, the sort of movement towards tolerance has ironically resulted in a more divided world because only the gospel can truly unify people. I can't think of many places, and this gives me so much joy, I can't think of many places like a church where everybody is welcome, where I can look out here and just see so many different types of people And the fact that there are different types of people is beautiful, but it's also not that important. The important thing is that we are unified in Christ. The thing that we share is an understanding that we are sinners in need of a saviour. That's beautiful. So Christianity is all about egalitarian grace. That is, because grace is unmerited, like God's favor and love and forgiveness and adoption is not merited and therefore it's unconditional. If it was merited, if I had to do something, be something, achieve something, then it would be merited in some way. I have done what I need to do for God to accept me. But because it's unmerited, there's nothing you can do to receive it, then it's for everybody. God's grace is for everybody. Children and black people and brown people and white people and gay people. Murderers and good church boys wearing their knitted vests 
and petrol heads and alcoholics and gamblers. It's everybody. It's for everybody. The saying is that at the foot of the cross, we are all on even ground. We're all at the same level. Remember, first century has no understanding of this whatsoever. You cannot find it in the historical documents. Any nation, sometimes we like to think, well, back then, you know, like those um, tribal peoples, before the white people came and, you know, ruined them, they were just this idyllic utopia. This is not the case. Human beings, all human beings, are fallen and broken. And for all time, we have been divided, tribal by nature. So into that context, this good news of the gospel comes, and it's like a grenade just explodes in the midst of the accepted norms of the day. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 3. All right, this is, called a, this is a good news sandwich. There's some, some bad news in the middle there, but it's... It's got good news bread around it. He says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction, no polarization, no tribalism, no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's good bad news, or bad good news. It's incredibly leveling to say everyone who's ever lived is a sinner. Because in our kind of collective imaginations, we have made a sinner someone like, like what the, um, the Pharisees and Jews thought of in Jesus' day. You know, he is, well, what's this guy doing? He's eating with tax collectors and sinners, as if Sinners are just the prostitutes or the thieves. No, sinners are each one of us. That group encapsulates the whole world. What are we up to now? Eight billion? Nine billion? Just all sinners. There's no distinction. And the grace of God is for all who believe. There's no distinction. They're justified freely. That is, they're made right. They are declared not guilty freely by his grace. That's unmerited love, favor, forgiveness through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Without that, there's no hope for anybody. It's only through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So Paul levels the playing field by reminding us that we're all desperately in need of grace. And this is what our world needs to hear. In a world that is absolutely feverishly dividing people into a virtuous us and a demonized them, Christians do this all the time. A virtuous us and a demonized them. The antidote to that kind of unhealthy, unhinged way of thinking is to remember that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a, a Soviet dissident um, in the 20th century, this is what he wrote. He says, the line between good and evil, virtuous and demonized, good and evil, runs not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. Do you know it? I mean, do you, do you know it? Do you experience it in your day-to-day life? The angel and the demon, that's just a cartoon thing. The real dividing line is straight through your own heart. So what does all this have to do with baptism? That's what today is all about. Celebrating Nikki's baptism together. Something that struck me just this past week is that baptism is active rebellion against tribalism. It's an act of rebellion. Tribalism is just a wash in the world around us and without and within the church. It's the air we are breathing right now, and baptism is an act of rebellion. And if you've got a little bit of punk in you, you will like that idea. It's rebellion, it's revolution, it's refusal to go with the crowd. Baptism has always been rebellion against tribalism. Let me read a couple of passages for you from Galatians chapter 3. You'll you'll probably know these passages. First of all, Paul says to the Galatians, For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you're all one in Christ. See what he did there? Baptism is a declaration that you no longer belong to tribes. You no longer recognize distinctions. All of us are one in Christ Jesus. And from Ephesians chapter 4, He says, again, to the Ephesians church this time, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you, if you're a Christian here today, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in all. If you feel the need to identify yourself as something, You notice how every sentence today starts with, well, as a, everyone feels the need to qualify what they're going to say based on their identity of themselves. If you feel the need to identify yourself as anything, then remember the calling to which you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. That's all. It's all that matters. For freedom, Christ.
Christ has set you free. Freedom from all of these temporary, adversarial, dividing lines. You don't have to stop at every fence that's been constructed around this or that group. You're free. Free to move among all people for the sake of all people. I love what Paul says about, to the Jews I became a Jew so that I might save some of the Jews. To the Gentiles I became a Jew. Right? He's free to move among all different types of people because he has a message for all people. And he serves a God who loves all kinds of people. Nikki's going to be baptized today. And she's going to make some declarations. Declarations of faith in the Lord Jesus. But also affirmations of unity. What she's going to say in the liturgy is a kind of rewording of a creed that all Christians believe in and agree to. Irrespective of where they are in the world and when they lived whether they're male or female, slave or free, adult or child, it's a unifying exercise. Now, let me just say a word about what baptism is. Maybe you're here today and you haven't uh, experienced a baptism before, and I imagine if that's the case, it might be a little bit weird. Uh, As all rites and rituals are, religious and irreligious, they're all a little bit strange when everyone else seems to know what's going on and you don't. So here's here's what's going on with, with baptism. Baptism, remember this, baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. An outward sign, symbol of an inward reality. So Nikki is going to be baptized, which is the outward sign, but the reality is already inward, otherwise she wouldn't be being baptized. It's a little bit, just a little bit, like a wedding ring. A wedding ring is an outward sign or symbol of an inward reality. And just as putting on a wedding ring doesn't make you married. Getting baptized doesn't make you a Christian. The symbol is only of any worth if the reality is already inward. So it's good and it's powerful and it's right and it's biblical and, I, and man, I, I tell you what, I wish we did it every week. Our prayers, our prayer focus this year has been to see more baptisms in our church. Praise God. But the outward sign is only as is only valuable. That's an outward sign of the dodginess of my uh, microphone. I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave it. Um, the symbol, the sign, is only as valuable as the inward reality. So as Nikki is baptized, she is saying, this is already true of me. 
The sign itself, going into the water, right? She is going to go down into the water, signifying death. She's going to stay under the water for just a, just a second <laughs> this time. Uh, and, and that signifies burial. And then she's going to come up out of the water, signifying resurrection. It's cruciform, right? It's based on what Jesus has done for us to make any of this possible in the first place. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and that is why we, in baptism, identifying with him as his follower, do the same. It's death, burial, and resurrection. So today is like the best kind of funeral to attend. Nikki's funeral. We're going to see her die. We're going to see her buried. And we're going to see her raised to life. And all of this is only meaningful because this has already happened by God's grace and the power of his spirit. Let me go to just a couple of passages that um, make this really clear. So in Romans chapter 6, and we heard a bit of this, or this is a bit of what we heard uh, from Joe. Paul writes, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? That is, if God is going to forgive us every time we sin, should we sin more so that he can be more gracious? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's the death part of faith in Jesus. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is a foreshadowing of what's going to come, a foreshadowing of Nikki's destiny. We today have the symbolic death, burial, and resurrection, but there is a day coming, I'm sorry to say, where she will experience the actual death and burial, followed by a sure and certain resurrection. That's Romans 6. What about Colossians chapter 2? Again, Paul says, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you, Christians, have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. You also were circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with human hands, but by putting off the body of flesh. By flesh, he means our sinful nature. So this is a metaphor. He's not talking about literal circumcision. He's using a word play. It's kind of like a pun. He's like, that part of you, the flesh part of you, has been cut off. Get it? (laughs) You're all circumcised in him with a circumcision, not done with hands, but by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism in which you're also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. There's a lot going on 
in the dunking of Nicole today. There's a lot going on. It's cosmic, right? This is not just something localized that is happening in the room here, but it's cosmic. It's eternal. Angels party and celebrate when anyone with genuine belief makes a public affirmation of their faith in baptism. So we've got a lot to celebrate here this morning, even in the midst of a world which seems so divided against itself. We have that thing in the gospel, not in our club, not in my particular theology, not not in my self-identification, but we have in our faith in the good news of the gospel for all people the answer to what so many people are craving. The substance, the satisfaction for their good desire to see people accepted. We have in the gospel of the good news of Jesus an extension of God's own invitation to all people, irrespective of who they are and where they've come from, an invitation to be adopted children in his household. There's no distinction. It's good news. And we're going to celebrate that in just a minute or two, or a few minutes, with Nikki's baptism. So I'm going to pray for us now. And I'm going to pray specifically, just so you know, so that you can join with me and you can give me an amen at the end, right? Just my prayer is that what I see here in this beautiful, beautiful melting pot of cultures and genders and age groups, that this really would be a reflection of God's desire for all people. In one sense, what I want for this church as we make all of life all about Jesus, what I want for us is to be a kind of picture to a watching world of how beautiful community among God's people can be. I want it to be an attractive, like literally a beautiful, attractive prospect for people to join in with a community that is truly inclusive in the best sense of the word, where there is no distinction. We all know that we fall short of the glory of God and we all know that we're recipients of his unmerited grace. That's what I'm praying. So if you're on board with that, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are at once aware of just how broken we are in this place. All of us are riddled with sin. All of us make countless mistakes. All of us fall short of the glory of God. We don't live as Jesus lived. We don't love like Jesus loved. And yet we still have this confidence that you will use this community of people, that you will use us to be a picture to the world around us of the beauty 
the beauty of the bride of Christ. Again, we say again and again, forgive us for where we've fallen short of that image and help us, grow us, strengthen us, mature us to be the kind of church you want us to be. We thank you for the good news of the gospel which destroys every dividing wall of hostility that exists in the world today. And we declare the victory of Jesus over anything that would seek to destroy us, to divide us, to make us hate one another or be suspicious of one another or just not really like one another very much. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in this church as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to give you a couple of minutes just to reflect on what we've been talking about this morning. You might like to prepare yourself a little bit for the baptism we're about to witness. You might like to look through some of those passages we were looking at. You might like to just pray and ask for God's blessing on this church, on your family, on this town of Caroline Springs, on this nation and this world, whatever it is. Uh, do it for the next couple of minutes as Josh sings for us, and then we're gonna we're gonna witness death, burial, and resurrection. This is my revelation, Christ Jesus crucified. Salvation through repentance at the cross in which he died. Now hear my absolution, forgiveness for my sin. And I sink beneath the waters that Christ was buried in and I will rise I will rise as Christ was raised to life and now in him and now in him I live
Cry. 